What's good, Rocky Peak? And Happy New Year. I gotta say, showing up on a Sunday morning on January 1st, I'm sure there is caffeine flowing right now. I decided to mark the occasion by dressing up a little bit for you. I'm sure there are some of you living in shock, didn't know I owned a tie, well I do. And I'm just curious, how many of you made it to 12 or beyond last night? How many of you, like me, the way that God intended, were like, no, nah, nah, I'm not even gonna attempt that God bless you. We are rested and ready to go. Well, if you happen to be joining us or watching online for the very first time, welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. My name is Dre, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna go into our time of teaching. But before we do, it's the first day of the new year. We gotta start by having a little bit of cheesy fun, Rocky Peak. See, it's a really rare thing that the new year lands right when we're doing service. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to invoke the pastoral power of time travel. And what I wanna do is I wanna take you back to last night and I want to ring in the new year with my church family. And so what I'm gonna need your help in is in a moment, we're gonna throw a countdown on the screens. And so I'm gonna need your help to count down, and then when it hits zero, I need you to ring in the new year. Hoot, holler, say happy new year, high five somebody around you, hug a loved one, fist bump because of COVID, you know, something else if you want going in, but let's just have a little bit of fun together. Now, I need to set the mood before we do it. So, first of all, cider from my Baptist friends as we... Go through, all right, all right. Let us rise, church. On the screens. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, actually a lot more lively than last night. <laughs> Which, that must be some strong coffee. Hey, if you haven't done so already, like Andy said, we're gonna go pull out that green and white message note sheet inside your program. We're gonna go into our time of teaching. But one last thing I wanna say again, it's a very unique thing that New Year's lands right on Sunday when we usually do services. And I just wanna do a special shout out, both from last night and for this morning. I wanna say thank you to each and every volunteer that is serving our church this morning. Because again, that's not easy to come and serve, but they have chosen to do that. And so specifically, thank you to our worship and our tech volunteers. Thank you to our cafe and first impressions, our greeters and our ushers. Last night, thank you to our volunteers serving our high school students. Thank you to the volunteers right now that are serving middle school and serving our kids at RPK. Again, thank you for serving this weekend. I appreciate you deeply. So let's, I'm ready to give you everything I got. You ready, Rocky Peak? All right, let's pray. We're gonna dive right in. Jesus, in a lot of ways, I can't believe we're at the beginning of another brand new year. You know, about two days ago, I was listening to a pastor 
saying that when he was a teenager listening to Prince's song, 1999, that felt so far away. And here we are at the beginning of 2023. And if there's anything we've learned for sure over the last, three, last couple of years, we have no idea what this new year is gonna bring. But Jesus, we know you. We know how good you are. We know how present you are. We know how powerful you are. And because of that, we know that we have a solid foundation as we head into the unknown tomorrow of this new year. There are going to be times in this new year that, are gonna, that we're gonna experience richness and beauty and laughter and hope. There are gonna be times in this new year in which we're gonna ex experience trial and suffering and loss and mournness. And regardless of what we experience or the times when we experience a mix, we know you are with us, Jesus. And so as we open up your word, which is living and active, I pray as I often do that as a communicator, not just for this moment, but for the entirety of this year and the years have come, that I would become less and that you, King Jesus, would become so much more. And it's in your name that we all said, amen. Rocky Peak on May 25th, 1977, the world changed. On May 25th, 1977, the world changed for the better. Does anybody know why? Because on May 25th, 1977, the original Star Wars opened in movie theaters. And as many of you know, I'm a little bit of a fan, in particular of the original Star Wars trilogy. But one thing that's fascinating to me is the story leading up to Star Wars opening in the first place. See, by and large, everybody expected Star Wars to bomb. And the truth is there was a lot of reasons why people expected Star Wars to bomb. First of all, the director, the creator, George Lucas, he was still fairly unknown and untested. He had kind of hit a little bit of success with American Graffiti, that movie with Ron Howard, but that was a completely different movie than this epic sci-fi Western he was trying to tell. There was not a lot of faith in Star Wars because if you look and think about those actors at the time, they were largely unknown. No one really knew who Harrison Ford was. No one knew who Carrie Fisher or Mark Hamill was. In fact, it was so not thought well of that when it did open on that date, it only opened on 42 screens in the entire country. It was expected to bomb and as we know today, what happened instead? it became unexpectedly immensely popular. Not only did they quickly have to add many, many more screens to be able to accommodate demand in certain cities and certain theaters, Star Wars played for over a year straight because people couldn't get enough of it. And it launched a franchise that is still going strong today. And so when it comes to a movie, that is exceedingly rare, that some 40 years later with different generations, this movie still resonates. And so I wanna ask this rhetorical question of what is it about Star Wars that resonates with different generations, with different people every time they watch it? 
And I do think that there's a lot of different answers to it. One, I think it resonates because it's just entertaining. From the characters, to the story, to the, mo- to, to the, the score and the music, it's just really entertaining. Secondly, I think it resonates because it was innovative. There was nothing quite like it in cinema, even though there was science fiction before it. But in particular, I think the reason why Star Wars still resonates all these years later is at its core, emotionally, it's a story about hope. See, the original Star Wars, the subtitle of it is A New Hope. And if you think back about the underlying story of the original trilogy, it follows this evil, oppressive, galactic empire that had completely destroyed the previous way of life. To the people living in this galaxy because of this empire, they had lost their previous government. They had lost their previous protectors, these Jedis. With that, they had lost their previous faith when Star Wars A New Hope introduces us to the people living under the empire. They are a people living in fear and despair. And visually, Star Wars conveys this in a really creative way that for it being futuristic and tech, do you notice that for the most part, everything in Star Wars seems worn down, broken and dirty? And ultimately, it's a story of hope that in the original trilogy, as we follow Luke Skywalker, who is really whiny at the beginning, isn't he? (laughs) But he's also a kid. As he learns what it means to hope in something bigger, we see through Luke's eyes that what is does not have to have the final word. That there is something bigger that we can hope for. And decades after the original Star Wars There was a film called Rogue One, which is a prequel to the original movie. And a couple of characters, Andor in that that character, as well as Jen Erso, the main heroine, they say this quote there in your note sheet. We have hope and rebellions are built on hope. And this morning, I wanted to start with this, not just because I like talking about Star Wars, But I want to start with this because as we start a new year, we need to acknowledge that we are living in a very challenging time, are we not? We are living in a very challenging time collectively as a human race. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The last three to four years have been a walking nightmare, have they not? And that's what we have faced collectively. And on top of that, many of you are living in a season in which you have experienced incredible individual challenges in addition to what we have faced collectively. Many of you have faced incredible relational challenges or financial challenges. Many of you have lost and said goodbye to loved ones. Many of you have struggled with illnesses or disease and we could go on and on and on. And so when we just look around at one another, let alone when we look around at our nation, when we look around at our world, we are in a unique cultural moment that what we all seem to share is a sense of defeat, is hurt is pain, is suffering. In a lot of cases, it's apathy, it's fear, it's anger. When we look around, not just at ourselves, but again, when we look around at the greater human race, what we see are people in need of hope. A hope that's bigger than our circumstances. A hope that lasts longer than an immediate moment. We need 
a new hope. We need the hope that Jesus brings. And again, as Christ followers, that phrase, that sentiment, that platitude, if you would, is something familiar to us. But what I wanna do as we kick off a new year is I wanna dig deeper than just a mere saying that we need the hope of Jesus. And I want for us as the church, as the body of Christ, to begin to gain a deeper understanding of what it means to truly root ourselves in the hope that only Jesus can bring. Because like I mentioned, talking about Luke's story, because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus continues to do, because of the hope that Jesus freely gives as we look at our very challenging circumstances, as we look at the world around us, we see the truth that because of Jesus, what is does not have to get the final word. There's more. There's a bigger story, the story of hope found through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I wanna spend some time this morning encouraging ourselves through that. So if you're following along in your note sheet, you've got a section titled, A Confident Hope. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got your apps, turn them on. We're gonna be going to the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament in the second half of our Bible. We're gonna be going to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna be starting at verse 19. And as always, I'm gonna have you marking up or highlighting your Bibles. But before we jump in, I just wanna give you a little bit of context. The original recipients of this letter, as the name suggests, were very versed, had a reverence for Jewish worship, for Jewish practices. It's widely believed that the majority of the original recipients were Jewish believers in Jesus. And so because of that, the author of Hebrews throughout this entire letter Letter is using very Jewish language, is using very Old Testament language, particularly in the area of worship and following Yahweh to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope the Old Testament spoke of. And so as we go through, especially these opening verses, the things I'm gonna have you highlight or underline specifically are some of the usages, not all, but some of the usages of this Old Testament language. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, would you underline or highlight that? Most holy place. And so in the section, we see this beginning of what's called temple language being used. Most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. Would you underline or highlight the curtain? By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, would you underline or highlight that phrase, great priest over the house of God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now let me stop right there and unpack a little bit of what it is that we read 
And so this language, this imagery I mentioned is what we would call Old Testament temple language. And so the most holy place would represent the inmost holy of holies in the temple, which is where God's presence dwelled. And it was separated from everyone else by this giant curtain, which was not only a physical separation, but it was symbolic of man's separation from God as a result of our sin. And so as it refers to a great priest, likely talking about the temple high priest that was tasked to enter into the holy of holies on the day of atonement. And he was the only person that could, meaning he entered in where you and I could not in order to offer a blood sacrifice for the atonement and forgiveness of the sins of the nation. And so that is Old Testament temple language. But do you notice how the author is attaching all of those acts to the person and work of Jesus? Ultimately, what the author is doing in that passage is he is celebrating not only that Jesus is our ultimate high priest, but he's celebrating the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came into our world and he went where you and I could not, meaning he lived the sinless life that you and I were not capable of. And as our high priest, he went before God and he offered a blood sacrifice his sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. However, unlike what had been going on for years in the Old Testament, where that act needed to be repeated because Jesus is the ultimate high priest, his act of atonement was done for all time. All these years later, we still live under the blood and atonement of our high priest, Jesus. And that is not only the gospel, but the message of the gospel that the atonement of Jesus brings life to you and I, brings life to all who believe is the foundation of hope. Hope, biblically, is rooted in new life. Hope is rooted in new life that we have received that is given to us freely, undeservingly through the act of Jesus that has already happened. And as it continued, when it speaks of our hearts being sprinkled clean, it's this beautiful image that being transformed by the life and hope of Jesus is not a one-time act but it's something that we continue to live to. And here's what the hope of Jesus does. The hope of Jesus transforms because I had you underline the phrase that because of his work, we are now the house of God. And in the Old Testament, that phrase was reserved for the nation of Israel. Now, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that phrase has been expanded to refer to the status of all who believe in Jesus. Again, think about the gospel. Think about the hope that the gospel is proclaiming that before Jesus, because of our sin, all that there was was separation and death. Now, because of Jesus, my identity is family. Now, because of Jesus, my identity is intimacy with God the Father. My identity is community and security and belonging. I have a family. I have hope. I have a father. We have all of those things because of what Jesus has done. That 
is the gospel. And the gospel is hope. And that leads us to verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Would you underline or highlight that entire verse? Because it's the key verse for our time this morning. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. In fact, if you don't happen to have a Bible or an app on you, I put that verse on your note sheet because I wanna spend some extra time camping out on it. Now, first and foremost, I don't know when the last time you used the word unswervingly in everyday conversation was. And while I could kind of make a guess as to what it means, I looked up the definition and there were two key ones that popped up. One, there was a very literal definition. Unswervingly means it does not bend. But then with that, there was an emotional definition and meant that you were devoted and committed. And so what is the author charging us to do? Hold on, be devoted, hold without bending to the hope, to the gospel that we profess, which is we have life because of the cross of Jesus. And why? Because he who promised is faithful. And here's the beautiful point that the author is making Too often in our culture today, I'm sure it was the same for them, when we use the word hope, we use a very anemic version of that word. Think about when you use the word hope, often you're using it to refer to uncertainty, to refer to things that you're nervous about, to refer to something you have no control over. I hope this works out. I hope they remember to do this. I hope this changes. I hope that doesn't happen. And often we say it in fear because we realize there is nothing I could do. I don't know whether this is gonna happen or not. And so the author is giving us a new paradigm of when it comes to hope. We don't hope in circumstances because it's hard to predict circumstances. We hope in the person and the work of Jesus. And church, as we sit here today, we have a confident hope because what Jesus has done is already done. When Jesus on his cross said, it is finished, It meant the hold of dominion, the hold of darkness. It meant he shattered the gates of hell themselves. It is done. We see that the tomb is empty. I heard somebody put it once. Jesus intentionally borrowed a tomb because he fully intended on giving it back. (laughs) And why is this so important? Because as we live in our own cultural moment, we can actually deeply relate with what the original audience of Hebrews was going through. There's actually a lot we don't know about Hebrews and the original audience it was intended for. But some of the key things that we do know is again, they were believers in Jesus who found themselves in a season of exhaustion, who found themselves in a season of significant discouragement, who found themselves in a season of defeat, And while we don't have one specific reason why, we can look at the context as what was going on in the world around them and we don't see one reason, we actually see several. One thing that I realized that we often do a disservice when we're reading the New Testament 
is that we don't stop to think about how hard it was to be a believer in Jesus in the first, in the first couple of centuries. See, Michael has rightfully often said that in our culture today, the cost of following Jesus is going up. And when we look at the early church, the cost of following Jesus was incredibly significant to them. They were dealing with hostility from their government, with hostility from their peers, with hostility from their own family. They were dealing with financial issues. They were losing out on jobs because of following Jesus. Not only that, even within their own churches, as I often say, They were people and people are gonna people. So on top of these battles that they were facing outside the church, they were fighting with one another in the church. They were dealing with sin. They were dealing with hostility. And after a while, like any other normal human being, it just leads to exhaustion. Can you relate? And when you find yourselves exhausted and discouraged as a Christ follower, What sets in? Temptation. In particular, temptations like, maybe I should just leave. Maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. Or maybe a temptation to modify what we believe. Well, these parts of following Jesus are too hard. Maybe I should just kind of ignore them or change that. Or this temptation to kind of look on the before with rose-tinted glasses and go, you know what, like, maybe things weren't that bad before Jesus. Maybe I should go back to what I knew or what I understood or what were my rhythm. Sometimes it's the temptation, you know what, God, if, if you're not gonna step in and do something here, I'm gonna take hope into my own hands and I'm gonna find someone else that can bring the hope I need, that can bring the safety I need, that can bring, make me feel comfortable or make me feel secure again. Often when we're exhausted in our walks with Jesus, there's a temptation to become numb, to stop feeling. There's a temptation to become apathetic. And again, like I mentioned, it's often not because necessarily there's one thing, but have you ever noticed that when we face challenging circumstances, it's not one, but it's several that seem to happen all at once. And As weird as it sounds, I wanna encourage you, if you are feeling that, if you've ever felt that, you are not a terrible person. You are not a terrible Christ follower. You are a person. (laughs) And the word of God is speaking to us. But again, as we look at our own lives, as we look at the world around us, there is a lot going on to challenge our hope. You know, let me illustrate it this way. If you're familiar with the original cast of Saturday Night Live from the 1970s, one of my favorite cast members was Gilda Radner, still one of the best comedians that ever lived. And Gilda played numerous characters, but as you see up on the screens, one of her most iconic, one of my favorite characters was this character of Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. And she was one of their news correspondents on their fake Weekend Updates news show. And what would happen is she would come on and she would be speaking about something that was good or hopeful, but she would get sidetracked and go down these rabbit holes of every annoyance, of every negative thing. She was pessimistic by nature, yet it was entertaining. And she would always quote, end it with this famous quote, it's there in your note sheet, it just goes to show you it's always something. If it ain't one thing, it's another. And you know what? She's right. It's always something, right? 
One thing I've learned about following Jesus for the last several decades is that I used to think that when it came to suffering, Jesus gets one and then we're done. And I've learned my lesson and we're good. Jesus does not agree with me in that. And so it seems like it is always something. Again, if you think about the last year of your life, if you think about the last five years of life, if you think about the last 10 years of your life, your head starts spinning over all the things you've encountered and faced, right? Some that you saw and some that were completely unexpected. The reality and the uplifting New Year's message I'm sure you came to hear is that life is hard, isn't it? Life isn't just hard, it's harder than we expected. And this has always been true of the human race as a result of sin coming into our world. You know, recently I was reflecting on Megan, my wife, I was actually reflecting on her grandmother and I didn't get to know Betty super well in our time together, but I was reflecting on the fact that back in 2012, she passed away at the age of 96. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, what did she experience and live through in her life? So I started applying a little bit of basic math. And so if, and this is a key thing, if I'm doing my math right, in the year 1966, she would have been around the age of 50. And so I did a little deep dive on history.com, did what did Betty experience in her life by the time she was 50? And here are a couple of the highlights. She would have lived through or experienced separate flu and polio epidemics. She lived through the Great Depression. She lived through World War II. She lived through the threat of atomic warfare. She lived through the civil rights racial crisis. She lived through the the assassination of a sitting president. She lived through countless social and cultural and norms changing and the world being unrecognizable time and time again. And in 1966, that meant she had 46 more years to go. It's always something, isn't it? And so why do I share this? Because as long as we're on this side of heaven, there is always going to be a circumstance to challenge our hearts because we live in a broken world. As long as we are on this side of heaven, there will always be a circumstance or a set of several that are gonna challenge where we find our hope. And that doesn't mean that we don't use our gifts, our talents, our voices to make this world a better place. But what it does mean, if we want to experience a true everlasting hope, we need to root ourselves first and foremost in the person and character of Jesus because the hope that Jesus brings is not bound or limited and rooted in the world around us. We need a hope that is more And while things are constantly gonna be changing in our everyday life, we know that Jesus never will. Again, what the author is encouraging us, we can look to the cross and go, it is finished. And that leads me to the fill in there in your note sheet. Hope is unleashed through Jesus. Hope is unleashed through Jesus. 
This is the message the Holy Spirit is speaking through this author, not just for the people at the time, but for us today to know that in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of challenging cultural moments, that the cross of Jesus assures us that hope has been unleashed through him. And for those of you that have been at Rocky Peak for any length of time, we intentionally adore the word unleashed because when it comes to the act of what Jesus Jesus continues to do. It means that hope is not this trickle that he doles out from time to time, but hope is a tidal wave that not only overwhelms us in this moment now, but it is a tidal wave that leads us into eternity itself. Hope is unleashed through Jesus, but not only is it unleashed through the cross of Jesus, it's unleashed as the author was saying, because of that cross, we now have access to the presence of God himself. A week ago, even though it seems longer, we celebrated Christmas. And Christmas is far bigger than that manger scene that we inaccurately put together on our shelves. Christmas is about celebrating the fact that Jesus himself, the son of God, came into our mess, that he felt and took our pain and our suffering and bore it on his shoulders while dying on that cross and that he triumphed over it. The author of Hebrews is reminding us that there is nothing better for a weary heart, for a broken heart, for a weary soul than to understand that the hope of Jesus is not simply something he does, but it is core to who he is. Hope is unleashed through Jesus. I like how it's put there on your note sheet, Trillia Newbell is a fantastic author and speaker. And she writes, you and I might fall into a silent trap of placing our hope in earthly things because like other people, they seem tangible, but it doesn't work. It just leaves us continually longing. Jesus is our only hope. And it is through Jesus that we have the promise of eternal life. We wait with a trustworthy hope. And we know that our everlasting, true and pure hope will never let us down or put us to shame. We can't trust in our circumstances, but we can trust in our savior. And again, as Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana said, it's always something, right? But the beautiful thing is we don't face these somethings alone. We trust in a King Jesus who entered into our lives, entered into our hearts to lead us and guide us through the challenging some things that we face. And so I'm gonna go ahead and close right there. That's our passage for this morning. And so what I wanna do briefly with the time that we have left is our world is in desperate need of the hope of Jesus. And if we, and if we want to see that hope spread into our world, it starts with us as the church. Hope is not something that we can manufacture or fake. Hope is something that needs to overflow from the inside out. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna spend a few closing moments talking about what does it look like to experience and root our hearts deeper in the hope of Jesus so that through that we can become a transformed people of hope to bring the hope of Jesus to the world around us. So there in your note sheet, you got a section titled A Present Hope. And before we jump into the fill-ins, I wanna explain a little bit of what I mean 
Jesus himself is hope. And so easily the most powerful way we are going to experience and root ourselves deeper in that truth is by spending regular one-on-one time with Jesus. The gathering of the saints that we call the church is a beautiful thing. Life groups, smaller groups is a beautiful thing. This community that God has given us is an absolute gift. But again, one of the most important things to grow any relationship in life is time spent together. And so as we go into a new year, we have an opportunity. So hear my heart. This is not a finger pointing sense of guilt or shame to be like, you need to spend time with Jesus. But look at the opportunity we have. Time together, regular time together is gonna lead us to a deeper experience of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus continues to do. And the beautiful thing about spending regular one-on-one time is the time is gonna look different for all of us. In fact, the time is gonna look different for you the different times you spend with him. There's gonna be times you spend with Jesus in prayer, communicating and speaking to your wonderful savior. There's gonna be times you spend listening to what he has to say to you through prayer or through his word. There's gonna be times you spend worshiping, listening to music. There might be times you spend journaling. There might be times you spend memorizing scripture. There might be times of smiling and laughter. There might be times of tears and mourning. There might be times in which you're sitting still. There might be times in which you're spending time with Jesus working out or on a run or on a drive again. There's beautiful variety in what our one-on-one time can look like. The Holy Spirit ultimately is gonna lead you to what that's gonna look like for you. But when it comes to hope for a weary heart specifically, I think there are two regular practices that are key in our one-on-one time that lead us to a deeper experience of this new hope found in Jesus. So there in your note sheet, That that sentence, hope is experienced through. And the first of these two practices, that first fill-in is honesty. Hope is experienced through honesty. At any given time, there is a lot that is challenging our hearts. There is a lot that is challenging our hope. And one key way to experience renewal and refreshment in the midst of challenging circumstances is going before Jesus and being honest about what we're facing and being honest about what we're feeling. Again, if you've been at Rocky Peak for any length of time, one of our core values is authenticity. And Michael, rightly so, often refers to it as a radical authenticity. See, we are invited by Jesus to go before him and be raw and be messy, to be unkept emotionally, to just let it out. And for some of us, that's kind of intimidating when we think about it, right? But the reason why I declare this truth that we are invited to this is because that's the invitation I see throughout scripture. Throughout scripture, you see Jesus inviting his people to be honest about what it is they're scared of, to be honest about what is frustrating them, what is angering and making them furious, what is terrifying them. Throughout scripture, you see people inviting, you see Jesus inviting his people to be honest about what their circumstances are doing and how they view him. 
about how they doubt, about how they're angry. Where are you? What are you doing? And there's a lot of places in scripture where you see this, but one of the key ones is the Psalms themselves. You know, several weeks ago, Actually, a few months ago now, my family, my kids and my wife and I, we started a new practice that maybe about once or twice a week before the kids go to bed, what we do is we sit down on the couch together and we just read a psalm or two out loud. And so we started from the beginning and we're now at about like Psalm 22 or Psalm 23. And I adore the Psalms, but I have to be honest, it's been a few years since I've read them back to back in quick succession. And in particular, the first like 10 or 12 songs, man, stuff is going on. These are kind of rough. There are people in dark moments of their soul crying out. In those first opening Psalms, you see anger, you see fear, you see frustration, you see apathy, you see defeat. And not only do you see that towards the circumstances that the authors are facing, you see that aimed at God. And as we've been going through this as a family, there's times when my kids look at me going, is that okay? Is that allowed? And what's beautiful is that there's dad, I get to say, yeah. That's worship. Why did God put that in the Bible? To act as an example for us to follow. Because there is something beautiful that can only be experienced at your most honest, at your messiest, at your most unfiltered, and that's the love of Jesus in the midst of it. Honesty is an invitation to experience hope in a new way. There in your note sheet, I love from John chapter 11, a dear friend of Jesus, Lazarus has passed away and multiple days after his passing, Jesus arrives at this time of mourning and there he's greeted by the first of two sisters. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And again, what I love about this is Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were friends. They were close with Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They know that Jesus loves them. They know that Jesus believes in them. And yet here is Martha experiencing the deepest heartbreak of her life. And here is Jesus and she's in essence letting him have it. Where were you? You weren't here. We sent word to you that he was sick and you weren't here and you could have done something. You didn't even come for the funeral. It's days later. You could have done something and you didn't. And what does Jesus do in that moment? He does not rebuke her. He does not shut her down. He is present with her in her honesty, in her heartbreak. He chose to be present with her in her darkest moment as he chooses to be present with each and every one of us in our moments of sorrow and hurt. Again, that is what Christmas is all about. And so Rocky Peak, you are invited by Jesus to be honest. And there are some of you here this weekend that need to take Jesus up on this invitation. There are some of you that need to go one-on-one with Jesus and honestly say, Jesus, I don't think I could do this anymore. I don't think I could keep going. It's too hard. 
There are some of you that need to say to Jesus, Jesus, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? Why did you take that job? Or why did you take my health? Why did you take that person? Why did you take that relationship away? There are some of you that need to go, Jesus, where are you? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you act? You did that for the other person. Why didn't you do that for me? There's some of you that need to go before Jesus honestly and go, Jesus, this was not the plan. This is not what we talked about. This is not how this was supposed to go. There's some of you that need to go before Jesus and go, Jesus, I'm scared about tomorrow. I'm scared for my family. I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for my livelihood. I'm scared for our state. I'm scared for a nation. Jesus, I'm scared. We need to go before Jesus honestly and beautifully unfiltered and yell and cry and moan or even give him the silent treatment because there is something powerful in those moments that we experience that we can't experience in any other and that's the love of God in the midst of our darkest moments. And so how do we root ourselves in hope? Honesty. There in your note sheet, Scott Sauls, who's an incredible author on websites like the Gospel Coalition, he writes in his book, sometimes the cancer is not cured. Sometimes the slum remains a slum. Sometimes the marriage fails and the friendship ends. Sometimes our hearts break. We suffer, we hurt, we experience loss. We ache in the midst of these very real battles. Jesus speaks to us out of his own sorrow and grief to remind us that in the end, hope will win. In the end, life will overcome death. Joy will overcome sorrow. Freedom will overcome bondage and triumph will overcome loss. And in particular, I love that line. In the end, life will overcome death. What is does not get the final word because of the hope that Jesus brings. So the first step to encountering hope in a renewed way is honesty. The second one, the second fill-in is remembering. And there's intentionality in this order because not that it's impossible, but at least in my own life, I find it really hard to remember the promises of Jesus without first being honest. Because what I find is when I allow, when I take up Jesus on that invitation and in essence emotionally vomits, I find myself ready to listen and receive in a way I wasn't before. And so remembering is a key way that we experience hope. One of the most important prayers we can ever pray in the midst of suffering, in the midst of defeat, in the midst of numbness is Jesus, help me remember who you are and what you do. Jesus, help me remember who you are and what you do. And as a quick sidebar, Rocky Peak, that is a beautiful act of maturity in the midst of difficulty and hurting to ask for help. Jesus, help me remember. And Jesus has provided key ways that he's helped from community, through worship, through the Holy Spirit given to us. But I wanna highlight one key way of remembering is scripture itself. Scripture is filled with the promises of God to his people. Scripture is filled with the promises of God to bring hope. 
And so there in Yenoshit, as we continue this encounter with Martha in John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And this is a promise that is still true for us today. I wanna highlight a couple of things from that verse. One, do you notice that the word resurrection is in the present tense? He's not saying one day I will give you hope in life. He's like, no, 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 I'm here now in this moment. I bring life now in this moment. And again, Jesus gives life regardless of what changes in our circumstances. But the second thing is when he says that sentence, do you believe this? That sentence is not meant to be a rebuke. That sentence is not Jesus wagging a spiritual finger in Martha or our faces going, oh ye, why do you not believe this? He's saying this as an opportunity. I have come to bring life in the midst of your darkest moments. Trust me, Believe me. You know, my own life, in my own struggles, in my own trials over the last couple of months, I've found myself going over and over to Psalm 23 that very famously says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And even more famous than an opening line is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some translations say the darkest valley, but shadow of death is a lot more dramatic and I'm down with it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. When you are in the darkest valley, there's only two things you know. One is dark. Two, Jesus is here. I don't know how long I'm gonna be here. I don't know how to get out. I don't know what I'm gonna trip over on the way out, but I know that Jesus is here and that's enough. The promises of God make a difference even when our circumstances don't change. And so for me, Psalm 23 has been a powerful promise of God. Maybe for you, if you need a starting point, again, in the top of your note sheets, I put Hebrews 10, 23, hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. Maybe for some of you, the starting point is John 11, I am the resurrection, but these promises are powerful. And what I wanna do, I wanna close with a story of how honesty and remembering make a key difference when it comes to us experiencing hope. There are many of you here this morning that are familiar with the extraordinary story of a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. And if you're not, just in brief, when the age of 16 or 17, she suffered an unfortunate diving accident that left her paralyzed from the neck down, that left her quadriplegic. And yet empowered by Jesus, empowered by hope, that was not the end of her story. Because of the hope she found in Jesus, she went on to become an incredible artist and painter using her mouth. It's extraordinary. She went on to become a singer. She went on to become a wife. She went on to become a speaker. She went on to become the leader of an incredible ministry called Johnny and Friends. She went on to become one of the leading advocates in our nation for people with disabilities. And we could go on and on about the beautiful things God has done, what God has done through her. In fact, several years ago, she put out a study Bible that was called the Beyond Suffering Study Bible. And the, and the subtitle is When, when Struggle Seem Endless, God's hope is infinite. 
But one thing that I value in Johnny's story is not just the accomplishment, but I value her raw honesty about how difficult her circumstances has been. She has been very honest about how difficult it's been dealing with paralysis. She is honest about the deep depression that she has experienced as a result of that. She is honest about the regular, chronic, debilitating pain she has had to experience. She has been honest about dealing with cancer and chemotherapy and all that comes with it. And so recently in the last year or two, she put out a new book called Songs of Suffering, which are devotions for weary souls. And what it is, it's a collection of 25 old hymns from church history that are meant to encourage us in our moments of pain and heartbreak, that are meant to bring us hope in the truth of Jesus. And with each Psalm, there's a story or a devotional with it. And in one particular story that caught my attention this week, she talks about her husband driving her to work and that switch turns on and the pain, the debilitating pain comes on and she sits there and goes, I, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And in honesty, she prays and she goes, God, where's this help you promised? And she said, it was through that word promise that the Holy Spirit did something beautiful. There in your note, she, I was in unbearable pain. I think you are asking too much of me, I said to God in my head. You are asking the impossible. I don't think I can do this. Johnny, there's your help, the spirit seemed to whisper. God's promises. Stand on the promises of Christ your king. That did it. I began repeating out loud every scripture promise I could recall. She concludes by saying, when we arrived at the office, something was different. My anguish had not lessened, but I had courage. He renewed me, refreshed me, encouraged me. His promises helped me do the impossible and I no longer felt defeated. And I share her story in this moment because isn't that a beautiful example of what we just talked about, of honesty and of remembering. I think it's key that she says that her pain and her anguish didn't stop in that moment, but she experienced a hope that renewed her in a way that was bigger than the circumstances she was facing. That is the power of Jesus available to each and every one of us. And so as I invite the worship team to come on out, what I'd like to do to close is I just want to read over us as a prayer the hymn that was attached to that story. And it's a hymn called Standing on the Promises, written in 1886. We are going back by a gentleman named Russell Kelso Carter. And it is difficult trying to find a decent picture of somebody from the 1800s. But the hymn goes like this. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God, I now can see perfect, present, cleansing in the blood from me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God. And finally, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Let's pray.
Jesus, here we are. In some cases, hurting and broken. In some cases, numb and defeated. But here we are standing before you as the King of Kings, standing before you as our source of hope. And as we read in our passage in Hebrews, here we are to say, yes, Jesus, we believe you. Yes, Jesus, you are a hope that is not bound by our trials and our circumstances. You are the hope that has entered into them. You are the hope that crucified them on your cross. Ultimately, what we see, what our circumstances are, what we're experiencing individually or collectively, it does not get the final word. This coming year and the tomorrows to come, there is gonna be beauty and there is gonna be trial and you are hope through it all. And so here we are, Jesus, standing on that promise, standing on that truth that you are a hope as we are about to sing together as a church, we beautifully say, you have not failed and you never will. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that as we sing this final song through smile and through tears, wherever the Holy Spirit leads us, we celebrate that truth. You are hope and hope doesn't fail. And it's in your name, King Jesus, we all said, amen.